got a lot to celebrate. And so, as I said, we will be celebrating today. It's going to be good news that we are hearing this morning. We left this place, this same spot, Friday night, in a somber mode after hearing the story from the creation of all things, all things in the universe, leading up to the point of the worst day in all of history, where the creator of all those things himself stepped down into the brokenness of all those things, the things that we broke, humanity, and was also broken for it and by it on our behalf. But today, we get to hear the rest of the story. The rest of the story happens. And so, as I said, the early church would greet one another with that, he is risen. Someone would respond, he is risen indeed, because they sat in that, the weight of Friday and Saturday, the weight of the tomb, the weight of death and brokenness and sadness and sorrow. In fact, Jesus, by the way, if you don't know this, wasn't the first person to show up to enter the scene and say to Israel, hey, I'm, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you've been waiting for to come and rescue you. There were many, there were a dozen other people who came during that time and claimed to be that person, claimed to fulfill that role. And what most of the Israelites thought, what most of the Hebrew people thought, was that this person would come, this Messiah would come and rescue them under the oppression of the Roman rule. They would free them from the captivity of the Romans. And so some of these men would come and they would, they would actually gather militias together and they would go do battle against Roman guards. And they had some slight victories. But every single one of them died. And then this man, Jesus, shows up. And he does the complete opposite. He's very quiet and meek in his appearance. He doesn't go out shouting, hey, I'm the Messiah you've been waiting for. He doesn't lead an army into battle. He doesn't attack at all the Roman rule. In fact, he even tells his people to submit to it, to pay their taxes to Caesar, and he too dies, though. And so why is it that thousands of years later, millions of people still talk about this one who claimed to be the Messiah, and we have no clue who those others were? Because the difference is, only one of them did not stay in the tomb. Only one of them rose again. And this was shocking. Even his, his disciples that were closest to him. They weren't expecting this. He told them over and over again, but they still didn't expect it. And suddenly, everything changes. And Jesus' resurrection doesn't just mean that, oh, great, that means one day now, even when I die, I'll get to go hang out with Jesus up in the clouds now. I'll get to, like, strum on a harp, and maybe I'll have wings then, and, like, this little round glowing circle thing above my head awesome. No, they knew that this actually had very much implication for right here and now for them. That even while they're still living under the oppression of Rome, Jesus didn't just float up into the clouds. He actually came out of the tomb in his physical body. And scripture says that Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection 
for all of creation. Meaning one day all of creation would be restored into wholeness the way Jesus' own body, his flesh and blood, was restored into wholeness after it had been broken. See, that's the problem. We looked at the problem on Friday, and I just want to give you a review because we can't celebrate without fully sitting in the weight of the problem, right? We can't celebrate the answer to that problem without first seeing it. And the problem is that everything is broken. Everything is broken. Nothing works the way it should. You can see that when you look at the news. You can see that when you just walk out into your neighborhood. You can see that often in your own living room with your own family members, can't you? That things just aren't the way they're supposed to be. And the problem with that, or the reason for that, is because nobody knows the true way they're supposed to be. Even for ourselves, we as part of creation don't live in our fully intended creational purpose. And because of that, it causes a lot of damage and destruction. A couple weeks ago, uh, Tanya had posted that she wanted all the kids, second grade through sixth grade, to bring a hammer to class for one of the projects they were doing, one of the crafts. And the first thought that came to my mind is, thank God Liam's not in second grade yet. (laughs) And then I started thinking through all the different ways these hammers could be used by some of our second graders and even some of our sixth graders. And I thought, oh, this could go bad. Fortunately, Tanya knew exactly what she was doing. Craft went great. Your kids are all safe. Nobody came home with, like, bumps on their heads, right? I I think everyone came out safe. They loved the craft. They learned a lot through it. It was awesome. But I started thinking through all the wrong ways those hammers could have been used. And I almost brought a hammer this morning. I was going to do a little object lesson and uh, just, like, bring a canvas and use a hammer as a paintbrush to show you what happens when you use something for a purpose it wasn't intended for. But I decided against that. Uh, Wade just picked up this new rug. I didn't want to mess it up. So when we use things for things they are not intended for, sometimes it can go very bad, right? And the problem is that we, as human beings, we also need to recognize that we are creatures. We were created. We are part of creation. That means we were created, and that means we were created for a purpose. There is an intention in what we were created for. And often, we don't see that, and we try to create another purpose for ourselves. In Isaiah 40, verse 22, it says that God hovers in his throne above the circle of the earth. So Isaiah knew before all the astrologists the earth is round, but that's beside the point. He hovers above the circle of the earth, and all of its inhabitants, all of its people, are like grasshoppers before him. When grasshoppers try to be giants, when human beings, creatures, part of creation, try to take the place of the creator, everything falls apart and gets broken. It's not just this comical outcome of like, oh, that's not really what that was made for. It's like, no, it starts breaking things down. I used to use Liam as a sermon illustration in every single one of my teachings, and then we got a dog, and she's providing me all these illustrations now. And so a couple weeks ago, you heard about how Millie was drinking water out of my toilet, and then she came over while I was laying in bed and just puked it all up right next to me. Yeah. Guess what? The other night, she woke us up with the sound of her vomiting again. 
We're like, what is going on with this dog? Like, why is she so, what's, we need to take her to a vet maybe. Like, we're worried about her. And it was the most awful sound that you could wake up to, by the way. She's just like yucking it up. And so we're like, what's happening with her? Maybe it's something in her food or in her water. And so we look at her dishes, and Bethany and I found out what is causing Millie to throw up so often. It's because she's eating her plastic water dish. She's eating her plastic water bowl instead of drinking water out of it. That's not what that was made for, right? But when she's eating it, she's causing destruction not only to the bowl, but also to her own insides, and she's puking it up. And it's like that when we try to take on the role of God or creator instead of recognizing our role as grasshoppers before him, as his creation, as creatures, is not only do we do damage to ourselves, but we also do damage to the other creation around us. The good news is, We see another part in the Old Testament where God's people are going before these giants, literally giants, and they say, we're like grasshoppers before them. And God says, so there's a right recognition of like, man, we're, we're so small. But God says, but listen, I am going with you. So we recognize that we're grasshoppers, that we're small before God, but we also recognize that we're his loved creation that he cares for. You see, the the beginning of this story that we started with on Friday is a story of God creating everything the way it was supposed to be, where everything did work rightly. And he created mankind, men and women. He created humanity for a good purpose. He set this creation kind of distinctly aside from all other creation. And in fact, above all other creation. To where mankind was supposed to be God's representatives, delighting in God's goodness, and also showing the rest of creation what God's goodness looks like. That's the created, intended purpose for humanity. The problem is, the second that they rebelled against that, and instead of delighting in God's goodness, chose to delight in something else, and instead of displaying to the rest of creation what God's goodness looks like, wanted to display to all of creation their own glory and how good they were, that's when everything started falling apart. I was telling my kids earlier this week, what, what happens when you unplug the TV while you're watching it? What happens? It's going to shut down, right? It's going to turn off. You lose power. Like what happens when you separate yourself from the giver and sustainer of life itself? You don't have life anymore. The natural outcome is death, decay, brokenness and God's goodness he he allowed for that process to be prolonged to slow it down because he said one day I'm going to come and I'm going to set it all right I'm going to come and I'm going to fix all of that but we see the natural outcome of that rebellion don't we even still today you see it all over Facebook people who don't even know each other arguing about politics and the way the world should be run calling each other all kinds of nasty things and never even seen each other in person. You see it in your family, people who won't talk to each other after years because of something that happened long ago. You see it in loved ones whose bodies are wasting away due to cancer, hairs falling out. 
You see it in bills that you aren't able to pay. You see it in marriages falling apart. I see it on a regular basis when I drive off of the freeway to turn onto my street and I see the man out there just screaming to himself on the corner. No sign, no asking for money, just screaming to himself. And whether he made a series of terrible choices to get himself in that spot or somehow was born in that spot or more likely a combination of the two, all I know is that's not the way it should be. Right? It's supposed to be better than that. And all of humanity throughout history has been trying to fix this problem that we've created. And we're only making it worse. It was a botanist who was trying to find a way to make plants grow healthier and faster who invented Agent Orange, biological warfare. One of the Wright brothers, Orville Wright, later said that he regretted inventing the airplane because all it did was allow for warfare in the air to take more lives. You think about how we've invented the uh, possibility for faster commute through the car and all it's done is create pollution and traffic. Social media is supposed to connect us more and all it does is keep us all isolated, staring at a screen. Every single thing we try to do, we try to introduce as a solution to the world's problems only creates more problems. We used to have a friend of ours, a neighbor, years ago, who the problem she saw in the world was the environment. The, the problem, people. We have been destroying our planet. We've been not taking good care of creation. But the solution she saw was people that we would reduce, reuse, and recycle more. And listen, I, I agree with her. We need to do those things, but we do those things as a preview, as a foretaste pointing to the goodness of our creator because that's our role. Because the reality is as much programs have been introduced and money and all this stuff spent on awareness, as much as we try, it's only getting worse. People can't solve our own problem. We are the problem. Someone solve this problem with my microphone, please. And so what we need is to paint a picture, to be a preview of a better solution. And we saw, we heard on Friday how a solution came. That promised Messiah did come in the form of Jesus. Jesus, what he did was not just come here and live 33 years waiting, twiddling his thumbs so that then he could die for us. If the gospel that we tell is only that Jesus died for us, yes, that's true, that's the gospel, but you're missing the bigger picture. What Jesus did is he came and he showed us what true humanity, whole humanity, is supposed to look like. And he lived perfectly on our behalf, in our place, loving people well, pointing to the goodness of his father, delighting in the goodness of his father. True humanity displayed in one person, Jesus. And then, yes, the gospel goes on, that one person, Jesus, who was only ever perfect and whole, and holy was broken by the world's brokenness. He stepped out of perfection, entered into our decay, into our mess, into our filth, and was broken by us, and he was broken for us. 
I want to read to you before we turn to Matthew 28 right now. In John chapter 12, Jesus, in verse 23, says to his disciples, the hour has come for the Son of Man, that's him, to be glorified. This is right before he's about to go to death. And he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. What he's saying is it remains just a single grain of wheat. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus was telling them, I have to die, me. The one who alone lived out what perfect humanity looks like. So that life then could be spread as a seed to many more. That you would grow up into wholeness. So turn with me to Matthew 28. As we get to see the beautiful finish to that story. Because he did just that. Jesus fell. He was broken. He died. That life could be spread to all of creation. And on Sunday morning, Matthew 28, starting in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, this is why we say Sunday morning Sabbath was Saturday for the Hebrew people. And after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he laid. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. This is God's word. The creator of all things entered into the brokenness of all things and was himself, he allowed to be broken by us. But because he is the giver and sustainer of life, he could not stay dead. Death could have no victory over him. The grave could not swallow him up. Jesus rose on the third day by the power of the Holy Spirit in his body walked around, greeted his friends, ate fish with them. He said, touch me. Feel the holes in my hands. Jesus, in his body, lives today. That's why we celebrate. This is good news. But notice how he said, go and tell my brothers I think it's amazing, first and foremost, in a culture that very much degraded the value of women, Jesus appears to women first. He loved those women. And then he says, go and tell my brothers 
He doesn't call him my followers anymore, my disciples. Go and tell my brothers to come and meet me. Listen to this word. This is in John 12. I'm sorry, that's the one I read earlier. This is in Colossians 2, verse 9. Speaking of Jesus, for in him the whole fullness of God dwells bodily in the flesh. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. The NIV translates that in him the whole fullness of God dwells in the flesh and he is making you whole. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, which, of the resurrection, which means Jesus lives in the body now. Physical. Not just this ethereal, spiritual thing one day in the clouds. Physically, in his body. That tomb is empty, you guys. And he's the first fruit. That one seed that fell so that it could spread to many more, which means those of us who are in Jesus too, we also will be made to wholeness. We also will experience new life eternally with new renewed bodies on a renewed earth, walking and talking with Jesus, with God, just like the first man and woman did in the garden. That's our hope. That's what we point to. What do we do here and now? One of the things we read today that Wade wrote in our liturgy is that this is hope not just for the hereafter, but also for the here and now. What does this mean for us now? It means that we can stop living in confusion and disorientation as a culture, wondering what our purpose is and what we're here for, being confused about our identity, and we can know what it means to have the fullness of humanity because we saw it in the fullness of God displayed through Jesus. Because when he rose, he didn't just up and leave, but he gave his very spirit to us. The power in which he raised from the grave with to his disciples, to his followers, to all of us who place our trust in him, that we can return to our original created intended purpose of delighting in the goodness of God and displaying the goodness of God to all the rest of creation. That is why we call ourselves Missio Dei, the mission of God, is that full restoration. We get to take part in that mission by being that display of God's goodness to all of creation, to our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members, to the lady at the grocery store that we come in contact with, to all of creation. Matthew 28 finishes with this. If you look to verse 16, remember Jesus had told the Marys, to go and tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. So in verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
I am with you. My spirit is with you. I'm not leaving you. You have the power now to live out your resurrected lives here and now, pointing to the hereafter. You have the power in the spirit of God, not in yourself. Remember, everything man tries to do in our accomplishments to fix the problem only makes it worse, right? Trusting in the Holy Spirit, we have been empowered to live out resurrected lives even here and now. Do you believe that? To be that people that go in the fullness of humanity, displaying the goodness of God to all the rest of creation, teaching them all that Jesus taught us of what humanity should look like. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means we have been given a new identity. We are children of the Father. Jesus calls us his brothers and sisters. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. You have a new identity to now live out your resurrected lives. No longer in the ways that you used to, seeking satisfaction and delight in other things and created things over the creator, trying to seek your own glory to show the rest of the world how good you are. But no, no, no. a new identity in which you delight in the goodness of God and display it to the rest of the world. And so Jesus gave us two sacraments to remember this, knowing that we would constantly be inundated by the lies of our culture, by a false narrative, by another story, He gave us two things to remember. Before Jesus went to go be broken on our behalf, he gave us communion, the Lord's Supper. He shared the bread and the wine with his friends, and he said, every time you do this together as a community, remember my body broken for you, my blood poured out. We do this every week, and that's good, and we need to continue doing that, and we will do that today. We also today get to take part in the other sacrament Jesus gave us. Go and baptize one another. Just as the Lord's Supper reminds us of his death, of his burial, baptism shows us new life. And so I get the great joy to celebrate with you, my family, of baptizing my youngest son today. We baptized our our older boys last Easter And we get to celebrate our youngest boy this Easter. And we're going to go out after this, after we sing, and we're going to all take part in that as a family. And that will be a display to us of how we are buried. Our sins, our old self, our brokenness is buried in the watery grave, just like Jesus was. But in him and in faith, we are raised, resurrected to new life a new identity in him. So we're going to do that today, but first we will go to the table. We'll go to the table to remember that we only have resurrection because of Jesus' death. There was a heavy cost that he paid. You'll hear me say to Liam, and Wade did this with Isabella too when she was baptized. I'll ask him, what are the things that God says to us? I love you. Come and follow me don't you dare walk away from me. There is a heavy price to rebelling against God. 
we must remember the price Jesus paid for us as we go to the table. But remember, we get to also delight in the goodness of his resurrection after that. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your goodness that we get to, as your creation, delight in. But we also get to display it to the rest of the world. God, we recognize that we cannot do that on our own, and so we are in desperate need of your Holy Spirit to empower us to do just that, to be the true humanity, the fullness of what you intended us to be. And so we pray, Spirit, fill us, empower us, teach us, guide us. May we point people to Jesus, to the glory of the Father. As we come to the table, may we remember Jesus, your sacrifice, the cost you paid for us. As we celebrate in baptism, may we remember that you are king over all things, conqueror of sin and death and Satan, and you did not stay dead. This is good news. May we go rejoicing in that good news. God, if anybody is sitting here this morning and just isn't even sure if they believe that, doesn't know if, if they too are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, have been risen with you as they were buried with you. God, we pray whatever is hindering their hearts from coming to you this morning, that your spirit would come in and remove that heart of stone and give them a heart of humanity, of flesh, that they would be drawn to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.